0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Welcome, friends, to another show. Before I begin the program, I want to give you a reminder that I currently support my family through this ministry, so if you have benefited from this program or other resources at Eschatos Ministries, uh, please consider uh, giving back by becoming an Eschatos Partner, which is giving on a monthly basis, and I'll leave a, a link in the show notes there where you can sign up for uh, to become a ministry partner. Okay, I have a big announcement. On May 19th and 20th, there is the Ark Encounter and Bible Prophecy event. You can go to alenkirshner.com and check it out. I'll leave also a, a, a link in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, so I will be giving a Bible Prophecy event. Uh, at the Ark Encounter, it's actually uh, around the corner, so you want to uh, make plans and uh, sign up soon. Uh, seating is limited, so it is at the Ark Encounter, uh, which of course is in William Williamstown, Kentucky. And I so on the uh, the first day, the uh, May nineteenth is the actual Ark Encounter. So those who register for this event. Uh, experiencing the Ark Encounter will be on the 19th, right? And then uh, that's a Friday. And then the 20th, a Saturday, is going to be the Bible prophecy event at the Ark Encounter, uh, in the Answers Center on the lower level. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be speaking on the Olive Discourse, the Thessalonian letters, uh, and the Book of Revelation. So this is uh, a sp- being sponsored by Eschatas Ministries. And uh, Ken Ham will also give a special session on a topic of creationism. Uh, Ken Ham, uh, I'm sure most of you know, is a speaker, author. He's the CEO and the founder of Answers in Genesis. And so, again, this is May 19th and 20th. Uh, Let's see here the deadline. The deadline is not the day before, and the, de- the deadline is actually May 1st. Uh, so, you want to pencil that in and register early. Uh, just a few other um, uh, items here. Uh, you do part of the registration includes a one lunch meal voucher to Imzara's kitchen. Again, go to com, and there's a whole flyer. Uh, also, if you know any other people that want to attend this conference um, or seminar, Bible prophecy event, and Ark Encounter, uh, you know, point them to uh, this information. Okay, let's get into the topic of today's program, and that is the meaning behind one taken and one left. I think there's a lot of confusion out there on that, or um, or. Uh, misconceptions of the meaning of this. I've I've treated it before. I've written on it, and I do want to expand on at least one key aspect of of the meaning of this that I really haven't expanded on, and I probably should. Uh, so, and again, I think this is uh, apropos to this announcement of uh, the Ark Encounter because, as many of you know, uh, the Ark represented God's grace and judgment upon the world. Well when Jesus comes back, one taken and one left also represents God's grace and judgment. And interestingly, Jesus uses, he draws uh, from the Noahic event to illustrate uh, how his coming, the coming of the Son of Man, is going to occur. So in the last decade, I've heard the growing mantra of, I want to be left behind, so, the slogan comes from the interpreter who believes the one who is taken in Matthew 24 is taken to judgment, uh, and the one who is left behind is righteous and enters the kingdom immediately on earth. Now, almost without exception, I'm sure there's um exceptions, which is why I say almost without exception, but um, their exegesis is based on something outside the Olive Discourse. And, you know, I'm not averse to going outside the context, but only after you've exhausted uh, the key exegetical import of the immediate context. That has to take priority. Then you can go outside. In fact, one of my points I'm going to give goes outside uh, of the Olive Discourse um, actually it goes, uh, uh, to, uh, a version in, in Luke, a red flag for me goes up when you see interpreters begin on the, you know, on the, um, they, they don't begin with the text. They don't walk through the text. That's the first thing you have to do. It takes the priority rather many interpreters begin outside of the text and then they import these other types of meanings back into the text. We're not going to do that here. We're going to focus on the actual exegetical uh, immediate uh, points. So so yeah, they go outside the uh, context. And um, well, let me read this here. Matthew 24 verses 37 to 41 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were... Unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. So all millennialists, post tribulationists, and even many pre-tribulationists argue that the ones who are taken are taken to judgment and the ones who are left are for deliverance. Now, I say many pre-tribulationists because pre-tribulationists cannot agree among themselves whether Matthew 24 is for the church or not. Some who say that Matthew Matthew 24 has nothing, nothing to do with the church, uh, they will say that those who are taken are taken to judgment. Uh, there are some pre-tribulationists that say there's a portion in Matthew 24 that applies to the church, and those typically will say that uh, those who are taken are taken uh, are, are, are the righteous or taken to the Son. Those who believe that those who are taken uh, to judgment, their argument relates uh, mainly, again, out, other, uh, other than going outside of the text, when they do come to the text— They'll say that, well, look at the Noaic illustration in verses 37 through 39. And they'll say, you know, they their interpretation, they basically contend that the judgment of, quote, the flood came and took them, that is the wicked, all away. So they read that in a particular translation and they go, oh, see, see, it says, take them away, the wicked. And that parallels then the event of one will be taken. Well, there are. There's a problem with that, and there's several problems uh, with identifying the wicked with those who will be taken. And I have here about five reasons I'm going to go through, uh, and then I'm going to expand on one point that I've—actually, um, go- this one point, I'm actually going to go outside the context, uh, but it's actually related to the context because it's a, a, a Parsia passage that um Uh, uh, found in Thessalonians. So Paul is drawing directly from Jesus's parousia passage in Matthew 24, so it's, it's relevant. All right, so first, okay, the domestic, and again, here's the reasons why those who are taken are the righteous, and those who are left behind are the wicked. Here's the first reason why I believe this is the case. The domestic and agricultural illustrations in verses uh, 40 to 41, they parallel the Noahic illustration. So they're not intended to illustrate the illustration of the Noah illustration in verses 37, 39. Rather, verses 40 to 41 intend to illustrate the climax of the Olivet discourse. What is that? What is this, hi- this highlight of Matthew 24? Well, th- this is the gathering of the elect. The taking taking of the elect. God's people are taken at the Parousia in verses 30 to 31. At the separation when the Parousia begins in verse 31, who is being taken? Is it is it the wicked? No, it's not the wicked. It's the righteous. It is God's elect. And this is the whole point of invoking the illustration in the first place. So, and this is, by the way, this is a very important hermeneutical principle because when you look at other passages in which Jesus invokes parables, he doesn't do it in a vacuum. There's a context. So he gives a certain didactic teaching, right? Um, And, or a narrative teaching, just like he does in Matthew 24, and then what he's what does he do? Then he illustrates it through parables. That's exactly what he does in Matthew 24. He says, he 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 climaxes the didactic or the narrative teaching here in Matthew 24 in verse 31. God's people are taken to the Son. All right? They're taken. Not the wicked. They're taken. And then Jesus immediately goes into a, a whole series of similitudes and parables to illustrate that point. I'm not kidding. This is virtually ignored. And the reason why I think it's ignored by many other interpreters is because it contradicts. It it, it contradicts their interpretation. They want to hold on to the view that those who are taken are the wicked. But Jesus explicitly states who is taken. It's the elect. Verse 31 Okay, number two, the other interpretation. Um, so, so the, uh, the the interpretation. You know, those who believe that those who are taking a judgment, it actually breaks the parallelism of the illustrations. Instead, it's it, Noah's family being delivered is described first. The day when Noah entered the ark, verse thirty-eight. Then the judgment upon the ungodly is described, second, right. Quote, "the flood came and swept them all away" verse 39. So to preserve this parallel a man in the field and a woman grinding at the mill is first described as taken that is delivered then the other man in the field and the other woman grinding at the mill are left judgment. Okay, third. Okay, some translations Uh, They they render the action of the flood illustration in verse 39 uh, as, quote, the flood came and took them, the wicked, all away. Now, there's a problem. This rendering took, this is unfortunate because unsuspecting readers who don't know Greek uh, may assume it is the same, quote, word taken used in verses 40 to 41. There's two different Greek terms behind the English, containing nearly opposite meanings. The English Standard Version recognizes this and accordingly replaces took with swept away. And um, it says, quote, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the Greek term in verse 39 is ero which in this particular context of the judgment flood illustration, it indicates, say, connotes the idea of to take away or remove, okay? Um. Okay, so in contrast, in contrast, the Greek term in verse 40 to 41 is paralambano and it carries a sense of an intimate receiving. Uh, so, in and, and some... Some claim paralambano does not carry this uh, the sense of receiving in a positive sense, and it's, it's true in certain contexts. Of the forty nine times that this term is used in the New Testament, it's used three times negatively. Uh, Matthew twenty seven chapter 27 27 John 1916 acts 23 18 but th- this rare negative sense is found in a specific narrow context of a prisoner being handed over to the jurisdiction of soldiers uh, so it- this is not a context that's relevant to our Parsi illustration and it really is a it's a it's really a strained lexical argument to apply this unlikely meaning to our our target passage in fact uh, dia Carson is Excellent book, Exegetical Fallacies, addresses this uh, lexical fallacy on pages 37 to 41. So basically, <clears throat> the whole point of this is that the idea here, you have to understand these two terms that is used for, for being swept away and being taken. This is two opposite ideas. Now, conceptually, uh, visualize this, right? Being taken... The positive idea and being swept away. That is, it's the idea of being left behind or pushing away. It's away from you. Okay, it's the wicked who will be away. It's the righteous who are paralambano And it's not a coincidence. This is my fourth point. In verses 40 to 41, the term for taken paralambano uh it, it as I mentioned, conveys a positive receiving. This receiving. Is contrasted with the one who is left. Okay, so we had this idea of uh, the wicked being swept away. Well, in verses forty to forty one, the Greek term behind left there is uh, the uh, the Greek term is afeimi, and in this context, it, it indicates the idea of to move away with the implication of causing a Separation, leave, depart from. So paralombano is receiving unto, and these this term and the other term is is a kind of a, a pushing way, kind of a rejection idea. Uh, so we have here, we have a Greek positive term for taken, contrasted with a Greek negative term for left. So the one who is left, This is more in keeping with the idea of separation and judgment instead of deliverance. And not surprisingly, just a few days later, after Jesus gave the olive discourse, he used the term perlumbano when he reassured his disciples that at his return, he will take them to be with him. John 14.3 and if I go and make a ready a place for you, I will come again and take, Paralambano, you to be with me, so that where I am, you may be too. So this, it's the same context, Christ's return, same audience, his disciples, and same terminology, Paralambano. Okay, number uh, the fifth point here, it's in the s- same parousia context. Um, so in this context, Jesus provides another illustration in Matthew 20, uh, well, 25, but it's in the, obviously the olive discourse chapter breaks are arbitrary and it's an illustration for being prepared for his coming. The, uh, the five wise virgins who were prepared are taken to be with the bridegroom. The five foolish ones who were not prepared are left behind; they're rejected. So the parable of the ten virgins is, is consistent with verses thirty-seven to forty-one. Again, supporting our this is our interpretation that those who are taken are for deliverance, and those who are left for for judgment. And just to follow up on this. Uh, one other point regarding the, the parable of the ten virgins. So it's interesting that this term to meet, right, um, to meet, that is uh, in, in verse six, it says, but at, min- at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's a bridegroom, come out to meet him. This is a term, uh, it's actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's used like three times uh, in the New Testament. And uh, it's um, uh opentaces. So Apentasi's, there is of one of the other instances of this term. Interestingly, is First Thessalonians four seventeen, Paul uses it in the rapture parousia passage. He says, "Then we who sh- who are alive, who who is that? That's the elect, God's people, who are left. They will be caught up to the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air." And so we will be with the Lord forever, uh, and you know Paul drew thirty over about thirty parallels uh, from the Olivet Discourse. So I mean Paul himself under he understood uh, that it is the those who are taken. It's the elect. It's not the wicked. Uh, incidentally, and this could be a six point two, but uh, in Luke's account, he gives the illustrations describing Jesus' coming in verse thirty four. Uh, that's uh, Luke seventeen thirty four. He says, um, Luke thir- Luke seventeen thirty four through thirty seven. He says, I will tell you, in that night there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Then the disciples said to him, Where, Lord? He replied to them, Where the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. So th- actually, th- this last verse containing the disciples' question of where, this is insightful because Jesus responds that dead bodies attract vultures. This is judgment imagery. It's representing the ungodly, not the righteous. So this comports much better with, the, with uh, those who are left for judgment. It doesn't make any sense to construe that then as the righteous. I I, I want to note that because oddly some people will use this passage passage to support the idea that it's the righteous are taken. It's like no, that's the the <laughs> the dead bodies are left. They they attract the vultures. This is the idea of the judgment. They're they're left for judgment. Uh, so okay. Um. Now I did want to I, I noted at the beginning of this program I do want to respond to or expand to one point. So Jesus in the Parsia context in this context of of course Matthew 24 is the parsia context and verse 31 he will send forth his angels with the great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other so and the the sign is this this lightning or shines as lightning so the glory of the sun when he returns So the the context here is the immediate event of the parousia. What is the very first event of the parousia? Of course, Jesus comes on the clouds, and what? He delivers the elect. That's the very first. It's an extended event. The parousia is an extended event. Many events are going to happen within this this extended, this complex whole event. So it's... We know that's the parousia. The term is used a couple times here. The context is clear. And we know that the when Jesus arrives on the clouds, that's when his parousia begins. Not on earth. Not on earth. It actually begins in the sky. Well, Paul addresses the parousia in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Let me turn there. He says, uh, in this context here, he says, uh, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the parousia, the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So immediately now he's going to address the very first event of Jesus' parousia. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The resurrection. Then, we've got the rapture here now, then we who are alive and remain, again, who is this? Is this the wicked? No, this is the elect. This is the righteous. They will be taken, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Again, Paul is... Uh, corroborating, as if he needs to, but um, he doesn't need to corroborate Jesus' clear words that the elect are taken. But G- Paul understands that it's the elect who are taken. And, of course, he goes into the the day of the Lord and God's judgment. Who are left? Just continue to read chapter 5. It's the wicked who are left. And, again, you, you see that in uh, 2 Thessalonians as well. Uh, And you see this in Revelation 7, this great multitude who appear in heaven. Revelation 7, this great multitude, you can't number it. They appear, they're in heaven. They're before the throne. They're praising God. They have resurrected bodies. And who is on earth? Who was left behind? Oh, let me note something. In Revelation 7, it says they came out of the great tribulation. The idea of, well, the great tribulation, is that in heaven? No, that's on earth. They came out of it and now they're in heaven and who was left behind the wicked and they're going to experience the trumpet judgments and bold judgments of God's eschatological day of the Lord's wrath. So I hope that helps um, and Yes, it may sound like a mantra of saying, you know, I don't want to be left behind. And it may be a reaction toward pre-tribulationism that some pre and not all pre-tribulationists believe, you know, again, they're divided on that question. Regardless, the biblical evidence, it's not just one point. It's the cumulative evidence, clear evidence that shows that it's the righteous who are taken and it's the wicked who are left. Okay, I, I hope that's been helpful. Um, hey, guys, I hope to see you at the Ark Encounter in May. I think it's going to be a great event. I haven't done a, um, a seminar or a conference for, for quite a while. Uh, so I think this would be a great time of fellowship. And yeah, check it out. Uh, go to alankirshner.com, or I'll again, I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.